Welcome to Ready, Set, Scale, a podcast that focuses on how to buy, sell, and use technology solutions in different markets. I'm your host, Shannon Tomlinson, Senior Director of Marketing here at ScanSource. Today, we're excited to discuss opportunities in the healthcare market. And we'll be honest, those opportunities seem endless. Specifically, the new digital front door, also known as telehealth, had a market-sized value at $9.5 billion in 2020. That means it experienced tremendous growth of 80% over 2019, and it's expected to show a compound annual growth rate of 29% by 2025. That's why we wanted to bring in an expert to discuss the next generation of telehealth so our partners would know what to expect in the coming years and how to benefit from it. Dr. Cynthia Horner is a medical director at Amwell with over 25 years of experience in population health and clinical care delivery. Since joining Amwell in 2016, Dr. Horner has focused on leveraging the power of telehealth to improve patient engagement and health outcomes through evidence-based clinical program design, quality assurance management, and physician training and certification on telehealth best practices. Welcome, Dr. Horner. We are so excited to have you speak with us today. We have so much good information to share today. I want us to jump right in. We all know that there have been so many rapid changes in healthcare over the past few years, and telehealth is just one of the areas that was impacted by this escalated change. But maybe we should back up just a little. So prior to pandemic, Telehealth was mostly thought to be a tool for urgent care, but now we're seeing a plethora of virtual care uses. Can you share a few lesser known examples of how you're seeing technology be used to facilitate better care experiences and outcomes? Sure thing. And and thank you for having me. I'm really delighted to be here and speaking to your audience today. We are all really familiar with the urgent care benefits of telehealth convenience, access from remote or underserved regions, patients really being able to call from wherever they are at the time, whether it's their office or their home, ability to do triage and quick check-ins on minor acute issues. A few creative and entrepreneurial companies, though, have really shown us some lessons that they were leveraging actually before the pandemic. And that leverages the same power to really access or to put doctors and patients together and to facilitate, in addition to that, that specialist access in hospitals through telehealth carts and remote specialty visits. But what I'll tell you is the pandemic really forced the healthcare community to take a look at some of these solutions and get creative in overcoming the barriers to patient access. And really, that's one of the main pieces that telehealth brings to the table is that that access to caregivers. A few compelling ones that, that frankly, I've witnessed and that we're learning more about uh, post-pandemic. First is management of patients with chronic care conditions, what's commonly referred to as virtual primary care. So virtual primary care, the dirty little secret is it means... 15 different things to 15 different people. (laughs) So it can mean everything from one-off visits to manage a chronic condition 
to a full comprehensive spectrum of care that a primary care provider will offer both episodically with their care team, with the patient, leveraging workflows and different care provider types integrated to some extent in a telehealth and brick and mortar space or just predominantly telehealth. So a lot of different things. So when I say virtual primary care, I'm actually speaking about the broader context of this, not just seeing a patient with diabetes on a telehealth visit. What I will say is this type of management, virtual primary care, really requires doctors understanding that telehealth is just a modality of care. And this kind of gets into an important thing that I think we should all start with when we understand telehealth, because I've, I run into clinicians frequently that see telehealth as a competitor of care. And really, it's just a modality. It is just a technology to get patients and providers together. So it's not the care in and of itself. So telehealth that's done correctly, whether it's that virtual primary care, which is really one of the main things in addition to whether using those carts in the hospital, whether it's having specialists that round on patients in remote areas via those remote carts, or whether it's actually doing hospital follow-up with a care provider in the home after a hospitalization. They use those same evidence-based standards of care. So when you hear telehealth or when the audience hears telehealth, really think about a modality of delivering the same kind of evidence-based high-quality care using the same standards, but you have to get a little smart because you're not, you lose the ability to do touch. There's lots of models that we can talk about and probably we'll talk about today, but I'm going to pause there and, and say that that's the virtual primary care and extending into the hospital and extending the providers into the home are the focus of some of those additional exciting ways beyond urgent care. So you spoke a little bit about the modalities and and looking at those wide ranges that's being introduced through that. So telehealth today is much more than just that virtual visit. That's kind of what we're talking about today. And then Can you talk about the opportunities that exist with some of these new care modalities and technologies? Absolutely. So one of the things that I mentioned are some of the carts that a hospital system can actually employ, for example, in the emergency department to bring psychiatrists that are perhaps offsite and frankly, (laughs) uh, very difficult to access these days into the emergency room to do an initial uh, evaluation and triage and if necessary admission. So using some of those cards, there's also remote patient monitoring uh, devices that really enable the telehealth provider to get the same kind of data that they need to get, whether it's a blood pressure, a a validated weight, blood glucose monitoring. So a lot of remote patient monitoring devices, but then shifting sort of perspective a little bit, it's not just remote patient monitoring. There is a whole host of companies out there and opportunities uh, to leverage automated technology to really try to get at the care between the visits. So what I mean by that is in a, whether a brick and mortar or a telehealth setting, patients see their doctor. If you leverage in telehealth, some of these remote patient monitoring devices, you can actually get a a single blood pressure, a single weight, a single biometric piece of data. And then you give them advice and carry on. What happens between the visit with the doctor from that visit until let's say they want to see the patient in a month is really where health actually 
lives, frankly. The behaviors that the patient engages in in between those visits, the medicines that they do or don't choose to take, all of that is actually happening between the clinician's visit. And if we can, and we can, get into that space to continue to engage patients in their behavioral modification, in their daily exercise, their diet, how they manage their blood pressure and respond to their blood pressure. Well, guess what? There are a number of different companies that are getting really creative with this and engaging patients between the visits using AI-driven technology. So for example, a patient might get a chat that the clinician at their visit says, let's start up. Would you be willing to enroll in a chat with our our program that can actually just talk to you and help us understand, remember to take your medicine. How are you doing with the medicine? What are your blood sugars today? And then the physician that is managing the care can actually modify the algorithm of this AI-driven chat so that when the patient responds in a particular way, the response comes back, "Mm, looks like your blood sugars are up a little bit. Your doctor would like you to increase your medication, uh, your metformin, one of the possible diabetes medicines by this amount, or your blood sugars are up quite a bit. We really think that you should come in for a visit. It's that engagement in between visits that frankly is going to be critical to improving the outcomes. And we've got really, there's good evidence out there on how these types of interventions in between the visits can actually have an impact. Suffice it to say that it's not just urgent care, it's not just virtual primary care, but those same types of interventions we're seeing and use of AI-driven technology, we're seeing in the behavioral health world, particularly with cognitive behavioral therapy. I could talk to you about the evidence for that, but I'll pause. (laughs) (laughs) All of that makes perfect sense, the in-between care. I mean, that seems to be so important. It's that encouragement or that acknowledgement that, hey, you're doing something right, Right. or or we need to tweak something because this isn't exactly right, and not having to wait that whole span of time between visits, right? That's, I guess, the only question that I have, and I know that this is probably just simplifying everything. I know sometimes I hear my dad older, has a lot of doctor's appointments. I could just hear him now going, I don't want to talk to a machine. But at the end of the day, there's still a person at the end of that who's monitoring and making sure that things are lining up the way they're supposed to, right? That's exactly it. And there are lots of different ways. You know, I will say AI is never going to replace clinicians. And uh, I talked to my colleagues, some of whom are perhaps a little bit less familiar with some of these new technologies. And They'll comment on computers are going to take over healthcare. Well, the good news, bad news, (laughs) good news is that that's just not going to happen because human beings are far too complex. That personal element that your dad says he craves is something that we all crave. And, you know, it's interesting that you bring this up because when I first made the switch to telehealth, one of the things that I was concerned about is that ability to make a relationship work through a video visit. Let me tell you, anybody who's ever had a FaceTime visit with their kids, their grandkids, or their friends will know immediately that if it's managed correctly and you follow certain things like good lighting and you engage in the conversation, the, the technology doesn't have to be a barrier. There are ways to do this that we have all learned in using other technology where there isn't a person on the other end that could, in the case of healthcare, be catastrophic. But that's not what we're talking about. 
Right. So I think that that's a good segue into my next question about workforce shortages. We see those across the board in every industry and certainly in healthcare that's been impacted as well. So how can the technology help improve or alleviate some of that pain point, but not also be, oh no, I'm talking to a machine. Right. Absolutely. And really critical in the world of healthcare on a couple of fronts. We know that there is a significant or a projected significant shortage in primary care providers by the time 2030 hits. Right now, I think the statistics are that one in five patients, actually, that's 20% of people actually don't have a primary care provider identified. And an even higher percentage of patients that do have a primary care provider are not following up with them. So So why do we care about primary care? I care because I'm a family physician, but frankly, there's data behind why I care. (laughs) And that is primary care providers can manage the whole patient and there's really good outcomes data on this and really good reduction in cost data. So we just know, and frankly, I think your audience would appreciate that we've got really good data to explain that uh, primary care coordination is really important. So primary care shortage Let's start talking about psychiatry shortage, really tremendous issue. And with the growth in mental health concerns and awareness of mental health concerns, that's only going to become more acute as time goes on. So these shortages, coupled with the rising cost of healthcare in the United States, really require us to be smart in how we provide care. So load balancing is a really critical question. I remember when when I first was looking to make the jump from brick and mortar to telehealth, one of the reasons I actually did so is I was working in a practice that had just invested significantly in a really remarkable electronic medical record. And as a part of this, there were there was great potential to really look at ways to change up who does what in a visit so that Every one of your members of your care team, whether it's your nurses, your medical assistants that room the patient, this was in brick and mortar, whether it's your physicians or in the case of this particular practice, your uh, social workers, that they were working at the top of their license. And so you have your doctors not doing things like printing out referral papers and handing them to patients. That's just not, that's just not a smart use of your workflows. Well, telehealth has the ability to actually enable that. And it also has the ability to frankly just create the same problems if it's not leveraged appropriately. (laughs) So if you're just transitioning visits into a video visit, well, that's not going to work. So ensuring that you've got your MAs rooming your virtual patient and getting all of the data in advance, using things like questionnaires up front that patients can fill out that are immediately ported into the medical record, that's done now. And doing questionnaires during the visit, after the visit, ensuring that that data that I was talking about before that's captured through an AI measure, it can be it can be ported in, graphed, and surfaced within the visit to the provider so they immediately are empowered to make proper decisions in a more cost-effective and efficient way. That's a lot of benefit, and that's a lot of filling some gaps and being very efficient with time and resources trying to to make sure that we're doing the right things by by the right people. So as a practicing physician yourself, where do you find, do you personally find the most value in using virtual care? I expected, and I mentioned this before, I expected that when I was going to jump to telehealth and I went that I was going to lose some of that relational piece. 
I really value, I've been in practice for over 25 years, and I really value the relationship that I have had with my primary care patients in particular. And some of them, frankly, it sounds crazy to say, but some of them, I actually am taking care of their children as adults when I delivered that child as a baby. <laughs> so in family practice, you know, we, we don't do that as much anymore, but I come from a day when that was the case. So that relationship is really uh, valuable. One of the things that's especially nice is in a telehealth encounter, I actually am in the patient's home, their workplace, et cetera. I get such a better view of what's going on with them holistically when I can say, you know, interesting, can you show me your pillbox or can you walk over to your refrigerator? Let's see what you've got. No judgment. Not everybody has something. I'm sure you're going to have some things in there. You don't want me to see totally fine. I'm not showing you my refrigerator either, but but here's the deal. It helps me know whether you're having some challenges and really talk to you about the nitty gritty day to day. So being in the patient's home, I could tell you story after story of ways that that actually improved the patient's care because I could see that their nebulizer tubing was cracked or I, I could go on on that. I think the other piece that's especially helpful is the efficiency of visit wait times. And frankly, I don't have to get up and move room to room. I also don't have to get up and go to visit patients in this hospital and then drive 20 minutes away to another hospital to do my rounding uh, in those cases where that where that's the case really helps me to be more efficient and in in the time, the use of my time is really what I'm trying to get at. So those are a couple of the really top pieces. The third thing that I would really emphasize is the ability to get aggregate data on patient outcomes. So I can actually see how my patient population is doing with my antibiotic stewardship, for example. And I may think that I'm doing a great job, but I can look at and say, no, no, looks like, uh, man, I wasn't as good as I thought I was. Or as a medical director, I can see how my group is doing with particular diagnoses. So we can capture this data and drill down into it to improve outcomes and educate our providers. Right. Do you feel like with virtual care and the patients that you mentioned where you're you're treating or seeing now the, the adult children that you may have delivered, do you feel like with virtual care, it puts them a little more at ease being in their home or in their, their own surroundings and having those conversations with you? I know for me, some, when I go to the doc, you just get nervous. You get nervous sitting in the, in the office or waiting room, but does it put them at, more at ease? It often does. And, you know, one of the biggest surprise findings that I had was the patients that patients have. If I am running five, 10 minutes late, honestly, they're still working at their desk or they are able to get their crying child and change the diaper and not worry that they're in the midst of, okay, you know, how am I going to do this in the waiting room of the doctor's office? And of course, during times of COVID, there were some obvious benefits to that. The other piece that I would mention relating to that is. Some of my patients that have challenged abilities and really have difficulty getting in a car to get to a doctor's office for whatever reason, that ability just to make sure that I'm seeing them and that I can see them on a timely basis and not, of course, then when they would come to the office if they're half an hour late, you're not going to tell them you have to reschedule, <laughs> but, mm-hmm. but um, it was just hard enough for them to get, get to the office to begin with. But in this case, it's just a matter of turning on a visit. And that, that has been huge for some of the more challenged patients that I've taken care of. Right, right. So part of this is around health equity. 
That's a critical topic today. What opportunities exist for virtual care to help eliminate those access barriers and reduce the social determinants of health? In addition to being a personal passion of mine, there is that is a very high visibility issue right now, particularly at the state and federal legislative levels. Of course, being able to improve access. And, you know, we talk about access in rural areas, but it's access anywhere there is either difficulty getting to a doctor. You know, one of the patients that I'm familiar with used to have to take three different buses in order to get to her primary care provider. It wasn't my patient, but in order, so she lived in the city. So she was in an area that had a, an abundance of doctors, but her particular doctor that was covered by her particular health plan was in a location where she, it just was very difficult for her to get to. That became so much easier for her with telehealth. So there's access in rural and underserved areas, access with underserved populations, the ability to actually understand just because of the visual we're in the home, but also to address through care management programs that are integrated, some of those social determinants of health, things like, can you pay for your medicine? And being able to really help provide some of that care coordination, let me help you get a Meals on Wheels program into the home. And being able to do that in a facilitated way, and it doesn't have to necessarily be the doctor that's doing that. You can have your care management team that is engaging with the patient because they've gotten a referral from the doctor. They can engage in a telehealth visit or a phone visit, et cetera. It could be synchronous or asynchronous, whole host of ways to, to do that. But this reduced the barriers to accessing that kind of support and reduce the costs of it as well, because you're not having people that have to go drive out and do home visits and and it doesn't necessarily have to all fall on the, on the physician to be able to, to run that. Right, right. That just seems so important. And when you don't necessarily have to go on three buses to get to your doctor, maybe your doctor's just right down the street. You don't think about those things and how important telehealth could be for somebody who does have to do that or somebody who does have difficulty getting around. This makes this so much easier just to be able to get to the resources and the access that they need. You're absolutely right. And there is a lot of interest, as I said, from a regulatory standpoint to ensure that enabling telehealth is going to be cost effective as well. And I think Mm -hmm. it's important that we mention that just providing more services, you know, there's a lot of concern and honestly, legitimately so that we're not just going to raise costs. And the terms that are being used are telehealth as being substitutive as opposed to just additive. I will say that there's really good data. One recent University of Michigan study came out showing that there is a lot of benefit, a substitutive effect that patients are still, they're not just having more visits, driving costs up. But I will also say that the social determinants of health piece is really key because the question of is it either or, substitutive or additive, really assumes that there is equal access across the entire country and there are no pockets of lack of access. So there will be some additive effect because patients now can get care, whereas previously they weren't able to get it at all. Yeah, I think that is a huge impact, thinking about things in a different way that we may not have thought of. So thank you for that. I'm going to throw one more question at you. So there's a lot of different health technologies out there. And the market is constantly evolving. We know that as technology providers. 
But as we think about how our audience can be most effective in their jobs, ensuring that their their customers, their end users are in the know, what advice would you have for them around healthcare and telehealth? Yeah, great question. I think during the pandemic, the U.S. government waived a number of requirements to ensure that patients could and clinicians could still be connected, specifically requirements around security. And this allowed some very simple and straightforward platforms to bring doctors and patients together. But many of these were designed for virtual meetings or sort of social gatherings, and they weren't designed to facilitate a secure communication between a doctor and a patient or any kind of healthcare provider in a patient. So a number of those waivers are expiring or have already expired. So my first piece of advice is make sure that you are using technology that is HIPAA secure and compliant and that it has evidence-based accreditation, such as an ATA accreditation for the technology or UREC certification. I would also encourage providers to really consider getting an American Board of Telehealth certification. Now, it's not required, but if the providers or the clinicians aren't sure how to do a physical exam on telehealth, which newsflash, you actually can. (laughs) So you can't touch the patient, but that's the only sense that you lose. And there are some really creative ways to actually use the patient's hands to get subjective tenderness and assessment. But without getting into the details on that, There are certification courses out there, and the American Board of Telehealth actually has one that helps train providers on how to do a telehealth exam. And frankly, a number of companies that offer telehealth platforms will also provide that kind of training to the client providers. Mm -hmm. So primarily, I would say making sure that you've got those security requirements. And then finally, if most brick-and-mortar practices now in health systems have an existing electronic medical record. Um, I remember the days when everything was paper charts, but those are long gone. (laughs) (laughs) So making sure that whatever system you're using actually can integrate with your existing technology, because the last thing anybody needs to do is spend a substantial amount of money. Usually we're talking in the millions or even single million, depending on the size of the practice. If it's a small solo practice, probably not that high. And then have that become obsolete because they're trying to plug in a non-integrated telehealth solution. All of the best practices and exciting things that I mentioned earlier really require integration of the electronic medical record and the telehealth sort of wraparound services. So figuring out that you can work with a company that can integrate that way, as well as that has those appropriate accreditations would be my biggest piece of advice. That all makes perfect sense, making sure you've got all the ducks in a row to not only just have the camera, but it's all the background pieces. It's the security, it's the records, it's everything that you need to build that total solution to make sure that you're you're providing the best experience virtually that you can. You bet. And as the pendulum swings towards more value-based care options, being able to ensure that you're capturing the data on your patient population that allows you to prove the value and then frankly get the reimbursements that you deserve because your providers are providing that kind of good care. But you need data. (laughs) So (laughs) I totally agree. Totally agree. Dr. Horner, thank you so much. This has been extremely 
informative and enlightening. And we just appreciate so much you taking time out of your busy schedule to have this virtual visit with us. Uh, You bet, Shannon. And thank you so much for the opportunity. It's been a delight. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. You're welcome. Once again, we'd like to thank Dr. Cynthia Horner for leading our discussion about the future of healthcare market. And of course, we'd like to give a special thank you to our sponsoring suppliers, Cisco, Zebra, Axis, Datalogic, Honeywell, and Polly for making this podcast possible. We hope the listeners of Ready, Set, Scale gained some valuable insight into the future of telehealth solutions. As always, feel free to reach out to ScanSource if you're interested in exploring new opportunities in this or any market. Our team of experts are always ready, willing, and happy to evaluate your solutions and introduce new ways you can grow your business. Do you have a business question you've always wanted answered but haven't had the opportunity to ask? Well, if the answer is yes, please visit scansource.com slash RSS question and submit your question. It could be featured on the next future episode. Also, be sure to stay in touch and follow ScanSource on LinkedIn and Twitter for industry-related content, as well as what's happening at ScanSource.